Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. This week, David Selinger joins us from Pleasanton, California, where he is CEO of home security startup Deep Sentinel. Selly was an early Amazon employee and also co-founder and CTO of Redfin, the online real estate marketplace. In all, he has been a co-founder, early employee, or an advisor at more than 20 Silicon Valley startups. His latest home security venture combines predictive artificial intelligence and human intervention to, quote unquote, fix home security for good. David Selinger, hey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, I only recently learned about your latest um, brand, Deep Sentinel, um, and was immediately intrigued, especially with the combined AI and human intervention story. I think it's a really cool concept, and I, I want to dive into that for sure in our conversation. But first, uh, for, for folks who maybe just want to know who's this guy, this guy, Sally, that uh, I've maybe not heard of, um, I'd love to kind of get a little more into the, your path that brought you to home security tech. Um, for a guy who's not even 50 yet, it seems like you've, uh, you've done a ton of stuff. You're a coder at, at your core, it sounds like. Um, yeah, I'm, what I, mean, is I, it that... I grew up as a technologist, so yeah, happy to talk okay. about that for sure. Yeah, yeah. What what is you're you're kind of an entrepreneur, but I think you're just you're a techie, like in in, in the heart of things. So is that what drives <laughs> your entrepreneurial spirit? Is is just coding and building new things? Yeah, I mean, I just I love building things. Since I was uh, really six, was the time I can remember very first being passionate about technology. My mom, and this is in the early 80s, uh, my mom bought our first computer and I like instantly fell in love. That was my, that was definitely my first love. So I taught myself to program on it. Um, by the time I was 12, I think I knew maybe 10 programming languages. And then uh, just, it, it, it went from there. Like I just, I fell in love with the ability to make stuff with my mind in computers and then What's really neat is over the last, I don't know, 10 or so years with 3D printing and things like the Raspberry Pi and all the DIY and IoT movements, there's so many things you can actually build in your home. There's so many things you can build in the real world now using those same kind of interests and skills. And so, uh, yeah, my, my background is in, in building. I got a chance to go to Stanford, which I grew up in a little tiny town in Oregon. So getting to go to Stanford was a, a really, really big deal. Um, did my my studies and uh, some graduate research in artificial intelligence and robotics. And from there, like you said, I got to start one of the first AI teams at Amazon, uh, start Redfin, and then I started an AI company called Rich Relevance about 10 years ago. And then about five years ago, started Deep Sentinel. Well, you notably, um, as I research, researched your bio, uh, left Stanford briefly uh, for a couple of years to go <laughs> yep. do, do, do a little bit of the uh, dot-com bubble stuff. <laughs> um, I guess dot-com boom uh, is the, yep. the more polite way to say it. But uh, um, what was that opportunity? What drew you? Was it was it a big uh, just like got to get on this this wave while I can kind of opportunity? Because you did come back and finish your degree. So that's cool. Um, but what, what drew you away? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it, you know, it's interesting you would put it as uh, I got to take advantage of this opportunity. I did not see it that way, okay. very frankly, because I was so young and naive. I thought that that was just the way the world ran. 
Mm. Right. I mean, imagine kind of opening your eyes for the very first time and being in the middle of this huge dot com boom. And so it, it was like as a child, I thought that Ronald Reagan was the king. I didn't understand this concept of a president. That these these things are temporary and they might go away at some point in the future. And uh, and so the dot com to me was just exciting. It wasn't like it was a, a, a an opportunity that had an expiration date. It was just awesome. Again, it was just a continuation of. I can build more and then these crazy people will give you millions of dollars to go build whatever you want. So go do that instead of, you know, dawdling around at school. So I did. I ended up joining, I think, three different startups through that period. And and some of them did incredibly well. Some of them did incredibly poorly. None of them really ended up um, going the distance except for one, which which is a a really funny one. So I I started a uh, a company called the Dolores Group, which a bunch of with a bunch of MBAs out of Stanford, uh, then joined uh, rejoined a company that I helped start called Two Realm, which is a wireless company way before its time doing mobile apps. And obviously, this is before real mobile devices existed, so that didn't do incredibly well. But we raised like thirty million dollars. And then, ironically, the one that I ended up joining that did the best was a coffee company from my hometown in Grants Pass, Oregon, called Dutch Brothers. And so I joined as a partner and I ran their technology team and didn't really think much of it. It was just a neat opportunity. I liked the the two brothers that ran it and they actually just went public last month. So, you know, (laughs) you never know which one's going to do incredibly well. That's for sure. That was part of the the lesson I learned there. I did go back in 2001. So after the market crashed, uh, it seemed like an amazing time to go back to school and just finish my degree because the market wasn't as hot. And I'll say that was one of the neatest experiences of my life to have three years, two years of real work experience, hard 80 hour a week work experience and get to go back to an environment where you have so much less pressure and so many more resources available. I mean, again, imagine as an adult getting to walk around and bump into Nobel laureates once a day and, and not only bump into them like Hey, could I grab coffee with you? <laughs> okay, not right now, maybe in an hour. Right. Okay, I can have coffee with a Nobel laureate in an hour. And so I took advantage of that. You know, I did research for uh, Bill Perry, who is the former Secretary of Defense, mm-hmm. and I did policy papers for the the presidential administration <laughs> at the time. I mean, just these were things that any student can do, but you don't really realize it when you're 21. But I was 25 and had work experience, and so yeah, just really did everything I possibly could. And I loved it. That was one of the best periods of my life. Well, uh, an interview that I saw with you, you said something about the, uh, the singular focus you had as a kid, um, uh, really focusing on programming and, and tech and, and how you didn't have a whole lot of social <laughs> interaction <laughs> back then. And, and I, and I see that you're, you're a functioning adult now and, and it's impressive that you made it through that because we, well, we were so formed you. by our childhood. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're not some kind of guy that's stuck in a room without any human interaction anymore. But uh, how has it been uh, kind of evolving from uh, these entrepreneurial kind of opportunities into managing teams of people? And 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 what what skill set did you have to kind of develop? Did you get any of that through through Stanford even uh, kind of coming through uh, collaboration on projects and things like that? Is that where it comes from? You just learn how to work with other people? Yeah, I mean, I'll give Stanford a ton of credit, by the way, right? I mean, both in terms of the amazing people that you meet, but like you said, learning to work with people. I mean, you can go to 
schools that may be academically stronger or more precise than Stanford. But Stanford really focuses on this kind of renaissance view of education where you got to get exposed to other topics, whether they're really relevant to you. Some of my favorite classes were in history um, and in the liberal arts. And, and those very much forced me to engage in a discussion where I wasn't the smartest person in the room, where I really had to learn and I had to be a part of a team where I wasn't the leader of the team. I had to be kind of the junior person on the team. And, and I really, really enjoyed that. I also, I'm on the autism spectrum, which you would never guess from my comments about at age six, teaching myself to program. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm on the spectrum a little bit. And, you know, I, I think that once I figured out how to apply that energy positively towards listening, which is, I think, one of the hardest things naturally for someone on the spectrum to do, you know, making eye contact and, and engaging. Once I started figuring out that my challenges weren't the, I shouldn't be looking to normal advice on how to tackle those challenges. I needed to kind of really personalize them and listen to myself and figure out how to solve those problems. Then I started being able to do it much better. And, um, and so, and again, Stanford was a great environment for doing all that. I also think that just going out and being willing to take risks was, was really helpful. So I was exposed to so many things because, I mean, I was a part of, you, you said 20 Silicon Valley startups, but let's also include, you know, the 20 or so that I'm not going to put on my profile because they <laughs> failed, you know, and, yeah. and I, I think those are as important as the ones that did well. Yeah. Well, when uh, when your PR team reached out to me, there was some uh, attention focused on uh, your your Redfin uh, mm -hmm. connection because it's a pretty notable brand, as well as your early Amazon years with uh, working directly with Jeff Bezos. Uh, I think in particular because he's is he an investor in your newest company, Deep Sentinel? Is that correct? Yeah, Jeff invested uh, very early. He was one of our lead investors in our very first round of financing and. What a neat opportunity there, right? Like to get to work, first of all, to get to work with him 20 years ago when mm -hmm. the headline of every single month of Wall Street Journal somewhere would say Amazon.bomb, you know, Amazon, the end of the end of Amazon, Amazon's going to go out of business. The, the question isn't if, but when, you know, and, and literally we, we look at this person who I guess now is the second most wealthy person in the world and, and to have gotten to work with him when it wasn't so obvious, when it was really his proving ground, not this kind of stage that he was on. Mm -hmm. And and then to get to zip forward and work with him 20 years later again and see what are the things that are the same and what are the things that have changed fundamentally about him. So it's been a, it's been a really amazing opportunity. He was very formative in my career. I think there's a story out there that, that, that got some buzz in, from Business Insider a while back that um, he had approved a project for me that, that, that's become an Amazon advertising. So mm -hmm. I, I put a project in front of him in 2003. And at this time, we had just launched the new products of CDs and DVDs and some, some hard lines, some clothing. And so Amazon really wasn't this buy anything at any time store that it is today. Right. It was and books originally, it, obviously. It was still mostly books. I mean, 90% of our analytics were about Harry Potter at the time, <laughs> right? And uh, and for good reason, right? What an amazing book. Mm -hmm. But uh, our series. And the 
then at that time though, we had done this experiment that said we should be showing ads on Amazon and that it could really fundamentally change the user experience as well as change our finances. And people tend to like it if we do relevant advertising for people. And he said, I, I, I think it, it, the words were something along the lines of Amazon is a retailer, not an advertiser. This is one of the dumbest ideas I've <laughs> ever heard. Don't, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. And in that same meeting, because we brought data that showed that we had run an experiment that proved that users didn't not only didn't mind it, but liked it and used the right ads when we did kind of these co-marketing activities that benefited their shopping experience. So, so sign up for the Amazon credit card and get $100 credit towards your Amazon purchase, things like that. that or I think it was $50 for me. That users really, really liked it. And his attitude in that meeting, not like, I want to take this aside and think about it. As soon as he saw the data, he said, I'm willing to change my opinion because I'm, my opinion is a challenge by data. And, and he did that in a public meeting in front of all of his direct reports mm. where, you know, the, the ego of most leaders would be such, myself included, by the way, <laughs> the, the ego of most leaders would be like, well, maybe I'll think about this, but you're still an idiot, right? And that would be like the typical ending of that meeting. And instead yeah. it was, okay, I see what you said, what you're, you're saying here. This looks like it could be a big opportunity. Go for it. Mm -hmm. You know, fast forward 20 years, that's, that's, I think it's like $16 billion in profit to Amazon's oh uh, bottom line this last okay. year, right? I mean, <laughs> and, and to have... I wouldn't necessarily say the lack of ego because the guy has an ego. I have an ego, but to know where his ego sits relative to data, that's a big deal. And that's, yeah. that was one of the most formative meetings I've, I've ever had in my career. Well, and it looked like some of those early meetings with him, you also learned to come with your A game as well. Uh, even if that, was a, <laughs> that, was a good, that was a good experience, but you had some other experiences. Maybe you weren't quite as prepped as he yeah, wanted you to be. You definitely have to show up with the A game. And, and that was definitely, that was definitely true too. And, and I think that's an interesting uh, observation too, right? That as long as you do bring the, the data to prove your point, that there's, there's room for discussion. But if you show up unprepared, I, I, I definitely had some meetings where it was shame on me mm -hmm. and come back, maybe come back later or maybe don't come back again, but don't show up unprepared and waste my time. And he was pretty brutal uh, at that time in terms of his language. And that's pretty well documented in the world. But it, it, as a leader now, I definitely see why. And I see if you allow other people to spend your time poorly and you create a culture where I, as the CEO, my time's not worth anything. Go ahead and waste it. There's no way he would build this trillion dollar enterprise if he allowed everyone to waste his time. Now, are there better ways to do that? I don't know. I'm still exploring my own leadership style, but I definitely respect the fact that he valued his time so much. He valued data so much. And I think those two things are tied, right? I, I value my time so much that I'm not going to allow my ego to prevent me from reaching the right conclusion. And, and right. so... When I take all of that in totality, I, I admire him so much and I feel blessed beyond belief to get to have learned so directly from him. After we take a short break, David Selinger and I will continue our conversation and we'll start our deep dive into Deep Sentinel. 
Did you know that 34% of broadband households are concerned about the air quality inside of their homes? Parks Associates' new quantified consumer study, Fresh Air, Air Quality and Comfort in the Smart Home, addresses consumer concern regarding indoor air quality as well as interest in air quality products and services. Our research of 10,000 broadband households finds that about 20% of broadband households are likely to purchase a smart climate or indoor air quality device in the next six months. This new consumer analysis quantifies concerns, perception of product value, and purchase intentions. For more information on fresh air, air quality, and comfort in the smart home, contact sales at parksassociates.com. Welcome back. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, and I'm talking with David Selinger, CEO of Deep Sentinel. Sally, uh, you're back in startup mode, it looks like, with uh, Deep Sentinel. Um, do you feel like you're addicted to new ideas and new projects and that the startup kind of mode is where you just always feel like going back to? Or is it just another new idea kind of pops in and you got to pursue it? How's that? Mentality? I am addicted to awesome things. I think <laughs> okay. that's, that's the thing that I'm addicted to. So if I can, I'll, I'll go into kind of the, how I started Deep Sentinel. Yeah. I think that'll, that'll answer the question maybe a little for you. So mm-hmm. as I left my last company, I'd grown it to just under $50 million in sales. Um, but it was really an enterprise sales company, meaning that I wasn't spending my time in technology as much. I was spending most of my time on a plane, meeting with clients, closing deals. And as I, as I left that, I really wanted to get back to my roots of artificial intelligence and core technology. And I stumbled into a technology that is called deep learning. And this is in 2015 when it wasn't as prevalent as it is today. Uh, And just to kind of give you a sense of what's deep learning, deep learning is the artificial intelligence that was discovered in 2013, 2014. That is the underpinning for your Siri. It's the underpinning for your Alexa. It's the underpinning for Facebook recognizing your friends in your photos. It's the fundamental building block in all of your Snapchat filters, right? It is this amazing technology that is able to solve a lot of these problems of image recognition, speech, and and detection that have been basically unsolved for decades. And in one fell swoop, we found a new way of doing this AI that works. Mm. And... Uh, and, and most recently, what, what, what I'm excited about this one is that it's also figured out how to do what's called protein folding, which is applicable to virus research and stuff like that. So mm. deep learning, I, I found really early and I discovered, oh, my God, this thing is real. And I, as a, again, as, as a practitioner of AI for at that point, about 20 years, you know, we'd made some progress in AI, but we really hadn't had the breakthrough. We had a lot of moments where the news said, AI will run the world and it's going to launch nuclear missiles and it's going to become sentient. And nothing had really happened. And deep learning for the first time showed the promise of achieving some of that huge step function in technology. And so I started asking myself, what are some of the ways that we could apply this to really change our lives? And, uh, And so... I, I'm a dad now. I've got two little girls and we had a home invasion at our neighbor's home right in the middle of me discovering deep learning. And I realized, gosh, this is a problem that is really unsolved and it's really, 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 really important. I mean, I can't think of anything more important as a dad than making sure that myself and my family and our home are safe. 
And what I came to realize was, was two things. One, the existing solutions fail on so many levels more than I thought they did. I was just lulled into complacency by the marketing from the big companies in that space. And I, I thought they were good. And, and I came to learn they're, they're not only not good, they're, they don't do almost anything in most cases. Yikes. Right. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, oh my gosh, deep learning can help solve this. And okay. so what I fell in love with really with deep Sentinel and the reason I'm still in love with it five years later is that it uses technology in this novel way and it solves a problem that matters so much. I mean, I at Deep Sentinel, I'll give the tiny blurb. What what we do that's different is we combine AI and humans to actually stop and prevent crimes. Every other crime solution, whether it's burglar alarms or cameras, are really reactive and post hoc. Uh, Maybe at at best, you could kind of view them as hours or days after a crime happens. You could maybe examine it, but you can't really stop it. Right. And Deep Sentinel stops it. And so the difference is I wake up every day to a dozen videos of crimes that we stopped in the last 24 hours to thank you notes from our customers saying, I can't even believe that this is possible. You changed the way that I live. I sleep better at night. And, you know, I've, I've gotten a chance to be, like you said, involved in a lot of cool companies. I've never gotten emails like that. I've mm-hmm. never gotten emails that say you change the way that I sleep at night mm-hmm. because you made me feel so much safer in my home or in my business. I, it's, I love that feeling and that we're the only company that's been able to do that. Well, your videos, um, you've had some reviews that I, I was able to really get a sense of how this thing works. And uh, it, it's pretty, pretty effective uh, in explaining that com- com- combination of the mm. AI and the human aspect. And so what I've seen and, you can better explain it is that there's something that triggers that human intervention. So there's ways to kind of filter what activities are. So you're not constantly getting pinged as uh, your uh, monitored team. You've got a team in place of human beings who are triggered by, uh, well, there's a trigger that occurs that says you need to intervene and they, they have a live feed of that camera and they can, then open up a microphone and say, excuse me, can I help you <laughs> or whatever it is. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and, uh, and de- de-escalate the situation, um, or if they have to turn on a siren, uh, and then immediately contact, uh, the police. So, uh, there's a lot that goes into that. I mean, physical aspects of it, not yeah. only the artificial intelligence part of it, which is cool. And you can explain what all the AI parts are to that. Um, and creating geo fencing and things like that. But what is it? Oh my God. How do you get the police involved? What all the different regions of the country, different places, uh, how, where are your human beings located? Are they centralized? <laughs> you know, I'd like, have yeah, a I mean, Jeremy, this is, that. I mean, you're bringing up every part of the business. This is the most complex business I've ever run by a country <laughs> mile. Right. I mean, just, we have our own hardware. We have our own cameras. We have our own AI accelerating hardware, we have our own cloud. We have the AI that we run and we build on that. Then we have our operations team, right? And so it, in order to deliver that really critical moment where in less than 10 seconds, our guards are viewing your live feed at your home or your business, and they're intervening and de-escalating a situation and preventing a crime. In order to deliver that, we had to deliver all these other components. And we have to do that to the nines. We have to do every one of those things to the nines. 
Um, I'll walk through just kind of a, the, the quick kind of path of how that happens. So when somebody comes up to your house and you have cameras around your home, uh, you can get a notification. And, and, you know, if you have those, you know that you're getting a hundred or so notifications a day, right? And so the likelihood that you're opening these up and looking at them goes down dramatically, uh, especially after the first week where you're like, oh, this is so cool. Now this is so annoying. Now I'm going to turn off all the notifications. <laughs> and, you know, that's why if you go, if you're on next door, you'll see, hey, here's this person that broke into my car last night. Well, sweet. Why didn't you do something about it last night? That would have been a lot better than posting it on next door. Right. And do you recognize this person that's super blurry from 45 feet in a hood? Well, no, I don't. Right. Like, congratulations. There's nothing you can do about that. And it turns out, you know, what I learned about the police is that the police can't do much about that blurry image of that person either. Right. And, and you know, we all watch NCIS and all these things. And we think that, that there's this great or CSI, there's these great technologies. The police are going to run it through their facial detection and detect what that blurry image is behind a hoodie. And, and it turns out, no, they're not. Hmm. And so, you know, the what we do, though, is we detect that there's suspicious behavior happening in real time. So you're running this AI accelerating hardware in your home. And so your cameras within less than a second, if there's something suspicious happening anywhere outside your property, uh, it will send those to a live guard who will view it. That live guard will then interview, intervene using two-way audio, identify, yes, this is suspicious. No, this is probably not the homeowner. I need to intervene within 10 seconds. Hmm. The, the last piece, though, is that if the person doesn't leave, which doesn't happen very often, usually we're really good at making sure that person knows that they're caught. And they're going to be in trouble if they continue. But in the event that we have to call the police, the other thing that's really powerful there is when we call the police, we're describing the crime, we're describing the suspect, we're describing whether they have any weapons and their location. And every police department knows how to respond to this call. Mm -hmm. Hi, this is Jenny uh, with Deep Sentinel. I have a white male, six foot tall, covered in tattoos. He is banging on the door of the home at 123 Main, and he's refusing to leave. The homeowner's inside, he's armed with a weapon, and he's requesting police response. Every single police department knows that that's a priority one call. Mm. And what's interesting about that call specifically, that's a real call, not that address. But uh, <laughs> we had police on scene. That man was in handcuffs in two minutes and 15 seconds. Wow. You can't get that from regular cameras. You can't get that from a burglar alarm. And that's the moment where you know, man, I've built something. I built something really worthwhile to these yeah. people. Well, I, I I see where the the training would come in with your with your your guards as you call them there your your physical team, um, and how to how to deescalate and what kind of language to use. Um, do you get it uh, kind of a broadcast out to all of the police departments to know that this thing called Deep Sentinel exists and that you may be getting calls at some point? How how's that relationship with the local um, police force work? Um, do they do your teams and your guards have some kind of a code within the device in the home mm -hmm. to tell them what what police department to contact? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so there's probably three things. Number one is as soon as you sign up for Deep Sentinel, you're putting in your address, and we go through and verify that so that we know which police department to contact. Okay. We also send that police department a letter to let them know, hey, Deep Sentinel is installed hmm. at this address, and it's not an alarm system. Okay. The second thing, though, is that, like I said, in that call, when we call the police, we don't really worry about this as Deep Sentinel. What we worry about is giving the police department the information that they need okay. to make the decision. What's the priority of this call? 
and what should I do about it? Uh, so, so we did what we didn't talk about is like, what's, what's a call from ADT sound like? So a call from ADT, hi, this is Mary from ADT. I have motion in the living room. Okay, Mary, can you describe the suspect? I have motion in the living room at 123 Main. All right, cool. Can you tell me if the right. suspect has a weapon? I have motion in the living room at 123 Main. So, so one of the things that people don't realize about their alarm companies is that the relationship that your alarm company has with the police is not one that's positive. In fact, police departments have created specific protocols and laws, laws, past laws that state they do not have to respond to calls from alarm companies. And this is one of the biggest learnings that I had as I dug into this. Again, my neighbor had the, had the home invasion. She had a burglar alarm. And as I started digging into wow. this, uh, yeah, wow, like big wow, big, oh my God, I'm a sleeping consumer. And I got lulled into a horrible complacency where I'm paying this monthly fee thinking I'm getting value and I'm getting a big fat zero. And, and in fact, my observation is that I, I think alarms are actually making people in more danger, not less danger, because because that sense of complacency actually sets your expectations incorrectly. Um, when your alarm company calls the police, if they don't have the information like what we do from a video called video verification, most police departments put that into a priority four below a verified petty crime because it's just not worth going to let me send out an officer, get them really worked up, have them pull out their weapon and potentially put someone in, in harm's way over a shadow wiggling in front of a motion detector in front in, in over wind blowing the garage door open. Mm -hmm. It's just not worth it. In fact, Freakonomics did an analysis of this a couple of years ago, and they found that 95% of the calls from alarm companies are false alarms. Mm. And so that's why your average response time from police departments is over 30 minutes, if at all. That's why cities um, are actually engaged in lawsuits with alarm companies, uh, is that they literally work so poorly that the police departments don't want to respond to them anymore. And so again, with Deep Sentinel, the key thing that we, we focus on is let's not worry about fighting the whole alarm. Let's just provide police with the right information. Right. Uh, and if we tell them, hey, there's a package theft at this address, what's really useful to a police department is, all right, I can put that right into my stack of calls. If I don't have any other calls, I'll send an officer, right? That's that's worth going to. In fact, we have some of the only arrests in the United States. In fact, we have the only professional arrests for package theft. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a we had an instance in South Carolina a couple, couple weeks ago uh, this guy came up to a porch. He was so quick that even when we intervened, we weren't able to stop it. So we called the police department. The police department had a patrol in the area because they had been having trouble with their relationship with that neighborhood. And so they were really working on stepping up their presence and making sure that they were doing a good job. So it turns out when we called that in, they said, oh my God, that's a great neighborhood. We have an officer right there. 20 minutes later, our customer gets a knock on the door. She's just come out of the shower. She didn't know anything had happened. Hmm. And the officer hands her her package back and says, I got the guy in the back of the car right here. And she's like, oh, my God. I, I, I mean, literally, I was in the shower this whole time. And the first time I find out my package theft, I'm getting it back. And you have a package theft arrest. And she's like, so, you you arrested my delivery guy? <laughs> <laughs> so that's one of the cool things about two-way audio, too, is we do make sure that they're verified. 
Uh, so we, we do engage. So you'll see in some of our videos, we'll ask like, Hey, do you have reason to be here? Mm -hmm. And so we do interact with delivery people and say, Oh no, no, I'm the delivery guy. Okay, cool. Can you verify some information for us? Right. And so we've trained the guard so that, that, I mean, what you're saying, it it is funny because it could happen, but that's, that's what, what we've worked so hard on is the operational component of this business is really important too. We've got the technology. We've got this incredible artificial intelligence that filters out most of the events. Um, and it also, we give a lot of information from the AI to the guards so they know what they're looking at. And, uh, and then the guards make sure that we're not sending people to the wrong, uh, to the wrong house. That's really, really important too. So do you have a virtual guard team like where you could work anywhere in that role or is it all centralized in a, in a headquarters somewhere? So right up until February 2020, it was centralized in our office in uh, in Pleasanton. And obviously, due to forces outside of my control, we went virtual. And you know, it was one of the more interesting things that we had to do because my, my head of operations at the time was really pissed about it, right? I mean, we just spent two years building this incredible operations center that was centralized. But it's been really great. It's an, it's forced us to be much more data oriented in the way that we run it, and, and so we have to learn how to manage these people hmm. all based on their data that we capture from their our console. But what it forced us to do is to build an incredible database, and we even use our AI to monitor our guards now. Hmm. And that is really when we get to kind of the next level of making sure that we're really effective at providing our service and we're consistent at it. So at this point. We still have some guards that come to the office, like one or two, but it's basically their office. So that's why, you know, they feel safe there from a COVID perspective. Mm-hmm. But um, but 95% of our staff are now remote. Okay. Well, let's get into the specifics of the tech. So you're, um, you get a box if you if you subscribe or um, purchase um, Deep Sentinel. So what comes in the box for a customer? Yeah. So, so you know, what, what, what we got is... Um, our starter kit has three cameras and an AI hub, and the the cameras are pretty similar to what you'd get if you bought wireless cameras. We really focus on making them really easy to install. It's a single screw. The average kind of DIY type person can get the install done in about 30 minutes. That's mm-hmm. our that was our target goal. Um, then the the unique thing about this, there's probably three or four unique parts about the the actual box. The first one is that as a wireless system, we wanted to make sure that we provided really good power. So we have the biggest battery in the industry by a, by a good long amount. Um, and that was just, we wanted to make sure you didn't have to go up and change batteries all the time. Yeah. The second thing you get is our hub. And this is really the heartbeat of the system. To put it in the context of, of uh, compute, our hub has storage we got 64 gigabytes of storage on your hub it's got four gigabytes of ram it has a qualcomm snapdragon processor and an ai chip in it and that cost us we sell it actually at a loss to our customers that cost us about 300 dollars for that hub by contrast if you get a hub like from arlo and and and, and other wireless companies that hub costs them about $15, right? So this is a huge step function up in terms of its capability. Mm -hmm. Um, The third thing is it also includes the battery chargers. You get an extra battery and an integrated charger, which you do for, you know, convenience. But, but let's talk about that hub for just a second. I mean, all of your AI runs in your home, in your property. That's awesome. And we do that because it needs to be fast. It needs to be going all the time. We're not going to analyze one frame 
from your video and say, oh, look, it's a person. We analyze every single frame from your camera in real time. So as it comes in, bam, the AI is running. And so we needed that to be on site. We needed it to be fast because I don't want to check one frame and make a decision like, you know, what we're talking about. This is real security. It's not, I'm going to send you a notification or not. This is, this is really designed to stop. And so as soon as the camera turns on within about 250 milliseconds, it's streaming over your home Wi-Fi or over our built-in Wi-Fi to that hub. And that AI chip is analyzing the frames, looking for people, looking for cars, looking for pets, looking for plants, and looking at all the motion and behavior of all those different objects. And again, all that's happening on that chip in your home. Right. Okay. And uh, you, you have a, a light that comes on with the camera when it's activated outside. So that's one deterrent if you are out there. Yeah. We, something bad. We, uh, we added a cool thing to the camera that, you know, I, actually I, I was very opposed to, uh, you know, again, kind of taking a card from Jeff Bezos. I told our head of design, I hated the idea and I don't want to have a light on all the time. And he came back to me and he did some user groups. And a lot of people said, if you have this spin when it, when there are guards watching, that's going to make me feel safer and it's going to make me feel like it's protecting my, my home. And so we integrated that into the product. And, and at this point, it's now one of my favorite features of our cameras. It's got a little light ring that as soon as a guard starts viewing your camera, that light ring comes on and it spins around and it tells you, just reminds you every time you come home, there's somebody watching, there's somebody watching, you got, you're covered, you're yeah. protected. Now, uh, you're a subscription, obviously based system for that live monitoring aspect to it. Um, so what's the hardware cost up front for the consumer? And then what is their subscription? I know it's a one-year contract. Uh, can you go through that? Yeah, sure. So the, the hardware we sell at cost, that's about $700 for us. Um, and that's for the hub, three cameras, four batteries and all the equipment that you need to install it. And then our subscription starts at a hundred dollars a month. And, uh, the way I kind of think about that is, you know, you, you've got alarm companies where you're re really getting no value. Our goal was, can we price this around what you're going to be paying for your cell phone? And can we really show enough value to justify paying that much for it? And what we've seen consistently, again, like I, I just, I'm so proud every day to get to wake up to, we stopped this crime, this crime, this crime, this crime, and this crime. And so uh, we do charge uh, a bit more than you would charge, pay for like traditional cameras or what we call dumb cameras or a dumb alarm system. And so, you know, if you have to pay X for something that's dumb, wouldn't you pay two, two X for something that's smart? Right. And is it something that's available only through um, direct sale through your website or do you have um, uh, distributors or retailers that that people can work with? Yeah, so we, we have both distribution through like Amazon. So we're sold on Amazon um, and a couple of other websites. But the best place to go is just go to DeepSentinel.com uh, and, and you can buy it there. We also do have installers. We have about 300 installers nationwide that are certified. Not only do they understand our equipment, they understand our back end, they understand how the AI works. And, and, you know, you do set up our cameras a little bit different than you would cameras that are designed to record. We want to place them in a spot where you can see is the person doing something suspicious and that we can intervene in a timely fashion. So it's, there are some subtle differences in the install. If you're a great DIYer, there's no issue uh, doing it yourself. We walk you through that in the app. Um, but we do have these 300 installers for people that want a more sophisticated install. 
And I saw on, on your website that you have a step-up version now with the 4K uh, video and Ethernet. Yeah, so we we just, thank you, we, we just uh, recently added our wired cameras. These are PoE um, power over Ethernet cameras, which are, they're, they're definitely a step up. They're, um, the, the starting point, point for that is a couple thousand dollars, right, just to kind of give you a sense. So that's definitely a, a much more expensive product, but they are, they're 4K cameras, they're wired. Um, they're installed in the wall. They're, they we run a much larger hub, uh, things like that. So it's a it's definitely for your more industrial and like we protect a lot of warehouses now, cannabis warehouses, car lots, things like that. And so they wanted a step up product, and so we developed that step up product and launched it this year. Well, it it sounds great. How how far along is the company? You've uh, mentioned five years and then a couple years there. Um, so how far are we in, into the, the life of the company and the product availability? How long has the product been available from you? Yeah, so those two things are different. Uh, we spent three years developing the product and making sure that we were building the right thing before we even launched. We launched at the end of uh, 2019, so we've really only been in market for two years. Okay. Uh, we're, we're growing incredibly rapidly. We, we grew actually right out the gates. We had kind of a, a, a crowd uh, event that, that we started off with a lot of customers and we've been more than tripling, doubling, tripling every year since then. We'll more than double again in 2021. And so we're, we're definitely feeling very optimistic about where we're at here. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we're, we're what's important to, to the listeners though, is we've really focused on making and perfecting our operational procedures and our technology. So, the the ability to consistently identify, engage, and stop criminals, that's where we've gotten to the point where we feel really good about what we're doing now. Because I mean that's our that's our whole mission. Like you said, it's it it's that everybody deserves to feel safe in their home. And so we want to fix that. Like and that's the big surprise to me at the beginning of this is how broken this was, how complacent I felt. I felt so safe. I mean I I um when I was in the, we had a, a neighborhood watch meeting. And when I was in that meeting, I was the vocal person of the neighborhood. And I asked the police officer, like, this woman has cameras and she has a burglar alarm. How come it didn't stop the home invasion? And the police officer asked me a question that you would expect of a technologist. And it was really embarrassing. He said, what did you expect her unarmed burglar alarm and her cameras to do? Did you expect the cameras to jump out and stop the criminal? And I was dumbfounded. Thank God I'm, I'm friends with this cop now. He's, mm. he's a good guy. He's our, our head of crime prevention in Pleasanton. And, uh, but what a good question, right? Like, yeah. what do you expect your cameras to do? You think as a consumer that I bought these things and I hung them up and I, quote, feel safe. But when something actually happens, they don't do anything. That's why you have so many videos on Facebook and next door of this person broke into my car last night. Um, that, that's what we want to stop. And, and that's when, when I talk about like the, the maturity of Deep Sentinel, the maturity of Deep Sentinel is you can view it on our YouTube page. Go and look at every single week we produce videos. Every one of those videos is legit. Every single one of them is real. I don't have the production budget <laughs> to, to stage 15 crimes a week, right, all over the United States. Right. Those are all real crimes. We stop crimes every single day. And that's really what we've been focused on. And I, I believe that you know, again, having started a number of companies, if you can do that and you're the only one that can do that consistently and people value that, that's what we're building as a company. 
Well, very good. I, I have one final question for you, and it's uh, unrelated to Deep Sentinel. Has Jeff Bezos invited you to space yet? And if he did, <laughs> would, you, would you take up the uh, invitation and go? Oh, my gosh. So, so no, he has not. Um, I thought about that the other day. I was watching William Shatner when he yeah. came down. And what an emotional thing. I mean, I watched my sister and I, again, we didn't, you mentioned, I didn't have very many friends. So it was my sister, Nicole and I, and we watched every single freaking episode of Star Trek so many times that she and I could recite them, turn the volume off and recite every line of dialogue. So seeing William Shatner, this person who was the centerpiece of my childhood and how humble he was about it yeah. and, and amazing. Oh, I, I feel like that was enough for me. I've got my little kids at home. I, as amazing as that experience is, that's my priority is to make sure that they're yeah. safe. And even if the risk of me getting hurt or, or dying is very, very small, as wonderful as that may be, it's not worth it to me right now. Yeah. Um, but what an amazing thing to see. I, I just I was blown away by the first all tourist mission. Yeah. And how little news play that got like. What an amazing day and age that we sent up total non-astronauts to space and it got like one day of news coverage. Ah! That's so cool. I mean, we live in such an amazing day. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm reading the, uh, the Right Stuff book. I loved that movie when it was first out, but uh, my daughter had to read the book for uh, her freshman English class, I think, and we watched the movie together and I... I saw the book laying in her room and I thought, yeah, I'm just going to see if that's any good. And I know it's by a great author and everything, but I started reading it and it's amazing how accurate it is to the movie and historically accurate, of course. And it, they talk about how they sent up these astronauts who are trained pilots and they basically didn't have to do anything. Um, so early on, there was that ability just to send someone and they just wanted to make sure that they could deal with the, the physical Mm -hmm. aspects of it so it's amazing how it's taken this long <laughs> to get to the point where you could do this of course it's expensive and everything too but uh it's great that it's safe and uh what a cool experience and to, and to see uh shatner humbled by anything not a humble man <laughs> um, was <laughs> about what you needed to know about what it <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, if, you, if you've watched any of the behind the scenes, that's that's the true statement, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's like wow, you quieted that man and yeah. <laughs> like really gave him world perspective. So amazing. Well, yeah, um, but Jim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Sally, thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. It's great learning about Deep Sentinel and all about your career. Jeremy, thank you for having me. It's been a blast. David Selinger is CEO of Deep Sentinel. You can learn more about his brand at deepsentinel.com. That wraps up today's show. If you're new to Residential Tech Talks, please subscribe to the weekly podcast and consider rating and reviewing us on your favorite platform. Also check out all the latest residential tech news at the magazine's website, restechtoday.com, where you can also subscribe to the bi-monthly print or digital magazine at our Tuesday and um, Friday or Tuesday and Friday email newsletters. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell.